Hi, welcome to another episode of the show. This week, I'm talking with Tamara Eberly. Tamara is a certified professional facilitator based in Canada, and she helps people with creative problem solving, process improvement, change management, etc., all through the paradigm of games. Now, if you recall back in episode 169, which is about nearly two years ago, in fact, we had Michael Fern from Australia on the show. Michael is a Lego serious play practitioner, and that's an example of a game that's well-known and used often in conjunction with change management, process improvement, um, helping people to make breakthroughs using toys or, or games. And Tamara is an expert in this area. In fact, as a facilitator, she helps organizations to tackle particular challenges through the paradigm of games. Her sister is someone who helps design games, and together they have come up with this angle, which I think is fascinating, because I'm reminded in talking to Tamara about the importance of using games more, and also coming up with games which might suit your specific clients' needs. Now, that's something that they also do, which is helping uh, practitioners, trainers, facilitators to come up with their own games. Tamara will today in this week's episode, you'll hear, describe a seven-step process to go through coming up with or conceiving of your ideas for games. And Shona, as I recall from the conversation, also helps people to design those games. And that's something I'm thinking of doing for my business, for my clients, uh, whether it's a deck of cards or whether it's an app, I think there's huge value in designing games which can be used in conjunction with training, facilitation, with organizations. And I think people are willing to pay for that. This is the Training Business Podcast. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Hey, welcome to the show. This is the Training Business Podcast. Every Thursday, without fail, there is an episode on your podcast platform of choice. Who is this for? Well, it's for people like you and me. If you are a trainer, a facilitator, a consultant working in learning and development, if you make a living part-time or full-time through your courses, programs, keynotes, workshops, books, etc., etc., if you make a living and love making a living from helping people with your expertise, intellectual property, ideas, experience, this is what the show is all about. And this week, as I mentioned before the music, I'm speaking with Tamara Eberly all about how to use games in facilitation. Tamara, hi, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. The reason we're talking actually is because Thomas um, Lantala, whom I interviewed a few weeks ago, mentioned something in passing, which was the idea of having games. And I thought, okay, we've done that before on the show. But then he mentioned physical games. Why would someone who is a trainer or facilitator or both want something physical, uh, tactile, like a board game or cards or something else which they can use in conjunction with their own IP. So I think that's a wonderful topic for this week's episode. I'm going to begin, though, with, with, um, with you. You're a certified professional facilitator, and you have a business, and if I get the name right, it's um, Traction Strategy, Traction Toolbox. Yes, yeah, so okay. we have 
Yep. There's, there's two. So traction strategy is our facilitation and training practice. Traction okay. toolbox is a curated collection of business games and tools from around the world that has its own, uh, it's a bit like a retail shop okay. online. So people, people can actually go there and discover uh, new tools and games. Sounds like an Aladdin's cave of fun for mm. trainers. <laughs> okay. So why don't we talk about a couple of things? I want to, first of all, focus on you and perhaps you could give us some background and how you came to be a facilitator. We'll then look at the concept of a game. What is a game really in terms of facilitation? Um, we're all for, you know, we all believe in the importance of, of gamification or helping adults to learn through play, but does it actually have a business benefit We'll then look at um, why we should use them in facilitation and training, the kinds of problems they solve, and perhaps some ideas you can share about the key elements of game design and how if someone listening says, you know what, I'm intrigued. I think I've got something something in my head. I'd like to make that into a game. How do I do this? What's What are the steps? So why yeah. don't we go back to, to you, first of all, Tamara. Um, you're based in Vancouver. Um, tell me about how you came to be a certified professional facilitator and why that intrigues you as a kind of a, a lifestyle and career? Mm. Well, that uh, origin story goes back uh, several decades, <laughs> but um, it, I actually came into facilitation through conflict resolution and dispute resolution. That was my starting point. I was very interested in, you know, everything from world peace to helping individuals who were in conflict to resolve issues. So I had started down that path. And as I was going down that path of mediator, conflict resolution, dispute resolution, consultant, I bumped into the world of facilitation and, uh, and groups and just literally fell in love with it. I just felt so at home, like this was my place. I had studied sociology. I had a sense of group dynamics and I just really enjoyed um, the, you know, working with groups of people who were stuck, who were challenged, who needed to create a, a new vision for their future, whatever it was in getting unstuck and being able to move forward, feeling empowered to kind of own the rest of the journey uh, themselves. Okay. And then what what is the, the, the jump then to traction strategy and traction toolbox? How did that happen? Well, traction strategy was the uh was right right off the get-go. Uh as soon as I started my own okay. practice, it was really about um helping people get traction mm -hmm. and do so strategically. Uh, and using facilitation as the means of doing that. And Traction Strategy and Traction Toolbox are both businesses that I run with my business partner, Shauna Eberly, who also happens to be my sister mm -hmm. and my uh, creative uh, co-conspirator. Uh, Traction Toolbox came a little later as the practice had evolved and matured. And as we started to notice, we had regular clients, we were repeating our work with people, we would go into the same rooms with the same groups. And after a while, it was really clear that we needed to shake things up. We needed this space to feel different. I remember very distinctly walking into a room with a, a regular client group. One of the clients was there early and she was sitting at the table and she was already writing on sticky notes. And I just thought, wait a second, if she's already decided what her what she's going to say and that this is the mechanism for, for doing it, then what am I doing here? 
Because my job is to help people think differently, to disrupt their thinking, to challenge their thinking, to help them think strategically, to help them think creatively. So if she's already doing the thinking, then what's my role? And I could see that the same ways of doing things, using the same tools, was not really helping to break uh, and change and transform people's thinking. So we started down a journey of exploring new and different tools, and that took us to games. We spent a lot of time in Europe, especially in Denmark, where they're very, very good and have actually quite a very long and rich history of using games and game design in um, uh, professional settings and in businesses. We think you hear Lego and Lego series play, LSP. Yeah, we don't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't, we, I mean, le- we might use Lego in a prototyping exercise. It might be mm-hmm. one of the kind of tools on the table. Lego serious play is different uh, in my mind than a game. It's okay. a prototyping tool. It's a vehicle for getting people to think differently. So I can see why it emerged in the same way. Like it is an alternative tool to access thinking, to create collaboration, to create creative um, problem solving together. So it's it's great. And it has like, as you know, it has its own kind of world uh, and stands on its own. But I'll share with you a bit about how that's different from the kinds of games we're, that we're, we're talking about and using. And this started for us when one of our clients knew that we were trying to challenge ourselves to break the convention of the tools. And so it became a bit of a mantra to replace the sticky note. And in creative thinking and in innovation, one of the ways of moving forward, of uh, changing the way things are, is to imagine that you just don't have those things anymore, right? So we said, what if there were no sticky notes? What would we do instead? And we started building games and tools or adopting games and tools into our practice. And we had a client who said, gave us the challenge of a three-day leadership strategy retreat in the mountains with no access to uh, a stationary store (laughs) to run out and buy sticky notes. And she said, I want this entire event run with no sticky notes and I want the same results or better what are you going to do? So at the beginning of that event, we took all the sticky notes in our kit and we literally threw them in a fire and burned them because we were in the mountains. So we had a fire. And that was kind of the start of our journey professionally in trying to have um, sticky note free experiences, which I think is something that uh, I sometimes do get pushback. I get people writing me notes. You don't know how to use sticky notes. Oh, I love them so much. (laughs) I would say, yes, they're a handy little tool, but they're not the only option. And they're so conventional and they're so overused. What else can we do? Uh, What other kinds of tools can we use? And games, we use lots of different tools, but games are one of those very good options. Uh, And I can tell you a little bit about why that is. Yeah, let's talk about the psychology, perhaps, or the um, the practical nature of games and why they're sometimes, I would almost say, critical to helping people make breakthroughs at work. So there's, there's a number of things uh, that happen when we play games. First, let's just kind of ground ourselves in the reality that 
the human experience is very, very deeply rooted in gameplay. One of the oldest board games or physical games that has been discovered was in 3100 BC in Egypt. This is how old uh, games are in our world as humans in our social existence. And uh, so it's a, it's something where we're all connected to in a sense. And some people in the business world might say, oh, I don't want to play games. Games are not for business, but actually serious games are very, very effective in the business world. And they do a number of things. So one, very importantly, is that when you have structure in a game, and I, I'll break down for you like what I mean by what is a game as well, but let me go through this first. When you have structure in a game and when you have rules in a game, it take transports you out of the ordinary world and into a different world. And in that world, everyone, it levels the playing field, literally. So it can break down power structures in a group very, very quickly, because after all, it's just a game and we all have our role in this game. And it's that role is different than our role in our workplace. Somebody is no longer senior to somebody else. We're all now at the same start line and we all have our roles to play within this game. So it's very good at leveling the playing fields and breaking down some of that power. It can also be very good for um, kind of connecting silos. So where people are very siloed in an organization, we're bringing them around a common playing field and they have something that they need to either overcome together or overcome as a team or a pair at the table or even overcome individually. But we're doing that around, again, this structured um, kind of format. Very good for, um, we love using games when we have cross-departmental collaboration opportunities, and then we'll sit different people from different departments around one game board. It's a great and very safe way for people to get to know each other because you're just playing a game. Some people can become very uncomfortable if they have to sit with other people or work with other people or suddenly perform with other people who they don't normally uh, work with. And maybe they're a little bit uh, quieter. Um, some people, of course, are much more animated and extroverted. But again, this kind of levels that a little bit and it allows people a safe place uh, it, to do that work together. Thirdly, games are great for breaking through the blah, blah, blah. I mean, how many times have any of us been in meetings where it's like, all right, here we go. And John, we love John, but boy, John can really, you know, take up space and talk a lot. But again, games, you're focused on the game. You're focused on the gameplay. The rules create um, and the mechanisms create the... Uh, kind of amount of airtime that everyone gets. And it it kind of is a nice equalizer in that sense. And it's not just a room full of sticky notes and a bunch of people talking and then people are tired and then they just want to go home at the end, right? This is a little different. Games, of course, can be energizing, engaging. They can also be very fun, uh, especially if they're designed to be. And who doesn't want to have an engaged group, right? That's really, especially if they're uh, interested in playing and the game is designed well, then you can really um, create a lot of engagement. 
But here's one other little fact that's um, quite helpful to keep in mind. If you are a trainer and you would like to have this group understand, um, digest, and remember information, you want them to learn something new, it takes 400 repetitions to create new synapses in our brain, except when we play. Guess Any guesses? How many repetitions to learn something through play? Maybe two or three times. I'm just guessing. Well, a little bit more, but okay. still a lot less than 400. It's 10 to 20. Which is doable because when you play a game, you're repeating typically the same number of moves or the same patterns. question or some patterns. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, so if we back yeah. then and say, mm-hmm. okay, if someone's saying, hey, I like this, I haven't tried games before, I've gone in with a deck of slides and you know my pens, et cetera, um, but I'm just not clear if someone might buy me if I'm offering games, you know, yeah. can I justify charging X number of whatever thousand dollars for a workshop if people think we're not here to play games, we're just here to learn. What are you doing? What is this about? Yeah. Well, I could say that this transformed our business. And the reason why I think is because people actually did want something new and different and they wanted a fresh experience. And they once they gave it a go, they realized, oh, wait a minute, actually, we really like that. And we we play this one game. It's out of it's from Denmark, so it's by a company called Acti, and they have a number of games. They have them in digital versions. They also have a big floorboard version. And in this game, it's a game that helps you learn theories of change, amongst other things, leadership, team development. There's a bunch of different things, but this one is called Acti Change, and there's a huge floorboard. That, so it's not a ta- it's not a tabletop game. It's a floor based game. That's a big circle, and there's boats that move around the circle, and the boats have little people on them. So the boat represents your project that is uh, your your change project, and the people represent the people who are involved in the project. We played this game with sixty people at a big uh, client conference one year. This must have been. I think we're looking at about seven, seven, eight years ago. I still, to this day, get people coming up to me and going, do you remember when we did the boat and the people? And then there was that one person who'd never get back on the boat. And oh my gosh, I remember it so well, right? So people, it leaves a lasting experience for people. And I think that's something as facilitators and trainers that we also want to create. It's a great, as an experience that people remember. And they keep coming back to in their minds. So I think it has a lot of value for your for your business. You need to know your customer and you need to create and use tools and games that are relevant to your customer and are the right tone for your customer as well. So it sounds like with, with traction strategy, you can help people to understand which game is appropriate for the challenge. It could be uh, change management. It could be something to do with diversity inclusion, a DEI. It could be something to do with uh, leadership changes or or people changing roles. Um, so it's 
you've got to use your experience to say this is the game that's going to help to set this in motion and to get people to come on board and to play their role and to help us succeed. Absolutely. And I really believe very, very strongly in purpose before process. And process includes the tools that you choose for your design. So, I mean, it's always got to be about the client's needs and the purpose of the engagement that you're doing. And then go into your toolbox and select the things that are right for that. And in terms of, there's lots of different tools, but you might also select a game. It might be the appropriate thing for that um, that particular mm-hmm. engagement. There's different ways of accessing games. So there's pre-existing games, pe- the ones that people have already created. You may be able to get access to them. Not always. Sometimes you can buy them outright. Sometimes there's a way to lease them. Um, sometimes there's a way like with um, Actee in, in, as I was mentioning in Denmark, you can become one of their practitioners to get access and use their game in your work if you feel like that's going to be the right thing for you. And you can create your own games as well. So we have, for example, a game that we created. We do a lot of work in innovation and creative problem solving. So we created a game called Innovate or Dinosaur. And we use this game a lot in design sprints and creative problem solving and things like that. And um, so we we pull it out of our toolkit uh, fairly often, and it's a fairly popular one. We also have situations where a client has come to us and said they need a custom game with their content, or they need a custom game to solve a particular problem. So as an example, we have uh, we have a client, uh, it's kind of in the retail space, they do a lot of customer experience and customer service, they were finding that their customer service representatives were taking a lot of flack from customers, and they and they were getting quite stressed. And they need they, they said, this is a very serious topic, right? This is heavy stuff. People are feeling burned out, they're getting yelled at, right? How do they deal with this. We said, well, let's create a game with content that has to do with conflict resolution, managing difficult conversations, um, and, and taking care of yourself. So we created a game, which is extremely fun to play. So we were able to have these workshops with these folks who were feeling stressed let release the stress through the the fun of gameplay but they left having learned real techniques and real tactics to solve uh to help them in in their work another client who you you know your your um, listeners out there probably also have clients that want to do uh, organizational learning they want custom games for their own businesses well that's an option for you as well it's an additional selling point for you well, we yeah, can I'm thinking create. that too. I'm thinking, could, yeah. could someone listening go, you know what? I, I have an idea for a game. I could add that as an offering. So currently, I train this particular program, and it's at this fixed point or price point. Could I maybe develop a game and charge more, um, unlock a revenue stream by designing a game that that complements this program, sustains learning, or whatever that uh, thing is? Can you advise people then on on what kind of games to design and how what form they take, whether it's digital or physical? Oh, th- that well, that's a great. <laughs> those are all great questions. Um, so yeah, you you absolutely can. Like, let's say you have your own content for something, and within that, let's say your learning experience is one or two days 
uh, long. And somewhere in there, you'd like to inject something that's a little different. And you have some content that you think, you know, this could be possible uh, to be in a game format instead of um, as a PowerPoint presentation and in a workbook and small group conversation and that kind of thing. Uh, Then I would definitely recommend give it a go uh, and, and try and prototype something to see how, how it works. And I can give you, um, kind of a rundown on, on what some of the, the key elements are for you to consider when you're doing your game design. It will, uh, it can be a nice differentiator for you. It can also be a nice leave behind. So <laughs> if, yeah. right, that's an option. Um, we, when we, you can, um, for example, let's say you have a, a client who wants to buy your services and uh, one element of your training is this game. Uh, you could brand it with their branding if you have the opportunity to do that. Okay, Your costs are going up when you start to do that. But if that's attractive enough to them, they'll pay for it because maybe they want to take it away with them. Uh, we've done games like our innovator dinosaur game it's a board game that you play on so we work with a lot of uh, properties uh like we work a lot in the property management and development industry so they have actual site maps of their buildings and what we've done is printed that map on the board so that their the board movement is like as if they're moving around their building and so it's really connected to that customer and that client. You can really customize things and you can also leave behind games for people. Now, within all of this, here's the caution. There's different costs to different levels of customization. And so you have to make sure you work that into your proposal. If they want a leave behind, um, we did a game recently for a client. It was fully branded and with their branding and the content was entirely their content that we transformed into a game. So they bought 25 copies of that game. We cannot use that for anything else uh, because it's theirs. It has their branding on it, Uh, but yet they have to, of course, pay for that as well. But it's a great return on investment for the client to have something like that because they can now use that game over and over and over again in their business especially if you've designed it to be self-facilitated and have um, self-play, which gets into a little bit more around the design questions as well. So someone listening could say, you know what, I can I can produce a game. I can have it built. We're talking about a physical game here, this you, you mentioned. Yes. yes okay. Um, and that some, is something I can either use in my workshops and take away or I could have it left behind as a kind of a reminder of the value you've delivered, helps to sustain learning and bad particular behaviors and so on. Um, can you give me an idea of, of what, you know, kind of costs we're talking about here? Because <laughs> I'm interested in that kind of thing myself. I was chatting off yeah. air to you about maybe a deck of cards uh, in conjunction with the coaching programs I run, but uh, I'm intrigued. Well, the cost is a little bit, how long is a piece of string? I know. I thought you'd say that. <laughs> yeah. And and so I really can't give you a number of mm-hmm. what it's... Because- of what it's going to cost you to do your thing. And it's, but here's some factors to consider. Okay. Uh, and one is when you're designing a game, 
and and you think, oh, I want this beautiful thing. I'm going to have this beautiful box and I'm going to have all these, like, it's just going to be gorgeous and it's going to be super high quality. And I'm going to get these special custom made metal pieces and, you know, that everything is going to be 3D printed. And, oh, there's this lovely little wooden box thing with a thing coming out of it and a ship. And, you know, when you start to get into all of that kind of stuff, your costs are going to go up. The other thing is, when you're using it for yourself, you're probably only going to have a small quantity. Quantity and cost are related in production. So if you are planning on printing literally thousands of card decks, your costs are going to go down significantly. The quality of that card deck will matter as well. So there's some people who are of are are designing something because let's just go with the card deck thing because it's simpler. So they want a very, very high quality production made with this card deck uh, because that is the image that they want to give off. That's the brand that they want to give. We've created card decks, for example. We have a whole line of card decks called Sneakerfish, which is specifically designed for creative and uh, for creative thinking inspirations and provocations and then we have different um, types of decks within that when we were looking at that we designed these to use them in workshops well anyone who runs workshops knows as soon as you put something on a table somebody starts writing on it somebody walks away with it (laughs) they get bent they have sticky tack on the back. Someone's put a big thing of tape over it. You're losing pieces. Do you really want to spend that much money on that? Or do you just want to have something that's good enough, that's nice enough, uh, but that you're okay to lose, right? So how are you actually going to use this? Are you selling it? Are you going to use it in a practical sense? Is it going to be handled by a lot of people? Or is it only going to be handled once? These are just a few little things that you're going to want to be thinking about right? Quality, the elements of your game. Yeah. If if we take away the physical thing and we'll, we'll not spend much longer on this because it's, it's a really deep subject. Um, but I will talk to you off air about this, um, from my personal, my business at least, um, because I can see how I could use this, or at least I think I can. Um, you could consult with people listening who might say, right, I want to call with Tamara at Traction Toolbox, and I wanted to help me to come up with a concept of a game. I've got some ideas, but I've never designed a game. I may not even play games, perhaps rubbish at Scrabble and Monopoly. Uh, But I I still think there's there's a business benefit to crafting, creating something. You could help them or consult with them on doing that. Is that right? Uh, We can. Um, It's the... And we have we have worked with other partners, other consultants to help them with their game design. Mm-hmm. Shauna, especially because she does a game, she does the actual design work and the so Shauna's the work. designer, right? Your sister, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. And so I can help with things like um, game, uh, like the dealing with the content or figuring out the concepts and things like that. But right. let me share a couple of things around design design framework with your with your. Um, uh, listeners right now mm-hmm. to help them get started uh, because it, it it there are costs right to doing this and so you I would really strongly recommend you give this a go yourself uh, whoever is out there listening and wants to do this and here's some things to think about 
Okay. Here are seven key elements for your game design for you to consider. Mm -hmm. And they are in no particular order. And I, I say this for, for a reason, because when you're doing game design, your starting point is not always purpose and objectives. It just isn't always. Sometimes you just have a really cool inspiration, or sometimes you're just playing a game with a friend and you're like, I really like this game mechanic. I can see how it could work for conflict resolution, or this really connects with my training that I'm offering. So when you're hearing these seven things, put them in a circle, don't put them in a a line. Uh, and start wherever you start. It's a very different kind of design process. Uh, it's uh, is more iterative and kind of natural and organic in a sense. So one is objectives and purpose. So what is the purpose of this game, and what are the objectives of it? What do you want people? What do you actually want people to learn or do coming out of it? Uh, and and so on. I think most people understand that. The second is to have a metaphor, a theme, or a story. Games are best served uh, when you have some kind of metaphor story. So let's say, for example, I gave that example of the the boat moving around the cycle. Uh, so the the kind of metaphor is your project is a boat. The people on the boat are getting on and off your project, depending on how they feel about the change. We have our innovate or dinosaur uh, um, innovation game. So that whole theme is dinosaurs. It's innovate or die. And there's a dinosaur that's your game game piece. And there's two parts to the game. And the first part is creative thinking, lateral thinking. It's called explore, right? So we're exploring the world of the dinosaur. The second is evolve. So we're, we now game uh, and we have a metaphor. It plays through the whole game, it plays in the board game design. It plays in the language that we use. And it's very, very helpful to tie the whole thing together. Sometimes it's where you start. There's another game out there called Ocean of Culture. So it's about your culture of your organization is a whole ocean, right? So find a metaphor or a theme. I strongly recommend this as being essential to your game. The format or type of game, is this a simulation? Is this a board game? Is it a physical game like a race or a treasure hunt or something like that? Is it a pen and paper game like X's and O's? Uh, Lots of different types. You do not have to be wedded to board games, which can actually be quite expensive to produce. So don't block yourself with it having to be a board game or a deck of cards even. There's a lot of other things. Fourth, the mechanics, the gameplay itself. How do you move? And how do you win? Those are two very basic elements uh, that matter uh, and that you have to figure out at some point. Participants and players, who are they? Who is this game for? Uh, And uh, how many are going to play this game? That seems basic, uh, but you need to know that because that also relates to how long it takes to play and things like that. We had a client come to us to do a custom game uh, there was going to be 200 people in the room, and it was their their own content in this game. Um, and they, uh, we said, well, how many people are going to be around each table? Oh, we don't know. We're just going to let people sit wherever. Oh, so there could be four, there could be 10. And we had to design a game that anyone, that any number of people could play. And we said, how long do we have for the game? Well, you might have 45 minutes or you might have an hour. 
Okay. So all of you have to know all of those things in order to design your game. You, your listeners are all ready process designers, um, learning and development designers. You understand the concepts of the relationship between time and players and things like that. Uh, content and challenges. What are they actually learning or what are they doing? So is it a theory of change? Is it sales techniques? So what's your content and what challenges are they solving or overcoming in the game? What challenges? So every game, snakes and ladders, right? You get to go up, but you also hit a challenge and you got to go back down. So what do they have to overcome uh, as they move through their journey of the game? And last but not least is the name of the game. Have fun with this. This is like one of the best parts. Have a great name for your game, right? Strategy pie, uh, you know, whatever, whatever it might be. It captures people's attention and imagination, and it probably builds off your theme or your metaphor. So short of having an expensive phone call with us, <laughs> this is where you can start. How do you do this? So here's what I would suggest everyone does. It's where if you have a game cafe in your city, run, don't walk, take some friends, take your nephew, <laughs> take someone, go to the game cafe, get yourself a nice latte and randomly select games off the shelves and just start trying to play. You don't have to play the games all the way through but just start trying to play. How long does it take you to start the gameplay? How clear are the instructions? Do you understand the mechanisms easily? Which ones did you engage with quickly? What was it about them that worked for you? As a trainer or facilitator, here's one of the pro tips. You want, instructions are going to matter a lot because you want, and the gameplay, you want your group to move into gameplay as fast and intuitively as possible. This is not, uh, what is that? Cities of Catan? What's that game? You know, there's like, uh, where it's like this whole world building and the instructions are 55 pages long of dense instruction. This is not going to work for you and you are going to create a terrible experience if you do that. Use basic game mechanics that people are really familiar with, that they play at home right? Emulate, mimic other games. Um, we have a, a, a client, they were playing around with a, a little prototype for a game. They're an operational team. So they created one called Ops and Downs. They just did it after Snakes and Ladders. You can do that because it, you want this to be easy. You don't want people to get consumed by the gameplay and the mechanisms. You want them to get into the learning. So this is some really important stuff. The other thing is prototype. Just make it out of cardboard and paper and draw things on it with crayons and fold things and go to the dollar store and get pretend game pieces and prototype it and then put it in front of people and see how they do. This is going to tell you everything you need to know about how to evolve the design. That makes sense. When you think of how complex a game is, Monopoly, for example, uh, looks simple, but there's must have, there must have been hundreds, if not thousands of hours over many years refining it, taking this out, putting this in, speeding this up, slowing this down, 
removing some component, adding something else in. It does look easy, but what you've just gone through with us, and thank you for that, is giving people some thinking to do. And an easy place to start, of course, is, as you said, a game cafe. And if you've not got one in your area, you could literally just pinch or borrow some games from your own kids or some other people's kids and just look at them through fresh eyes. Um, what is this game for? How do I play this? How do I start? How do I know what to do? And I'm reminded of um, a couple of people I'll not mention who just take the, the rules so seriously. Uh, and um, and sometimes that distracts from the actual intention of the game. And, and that in itself is very instructive. How does someone feel about the game? Do they look forward to it? Do they learn something from it? Is it emotional? Is it uh, technical? Um, there's just so much here to unpack. Um, yeah, there's so a lot. Yeah. Let's wrap up tomorrow with, with some places you could send people to. Um, where would you like people to go? They've found value from listening to you today. You've you've delivered some really interesting points. I mean, really powerful steps on helping people think of games and how they might come up with their own. Uh, what kind of resources would you like to direct listeners to? Well, again, I think you just have to, you have to play and you have to, you have to experiment. I I really encourage people to, to do that. I think you, that your listeners have, have the content, they have the knowledge, they have the skill, they know how to lead groups. They know all of this stuff. Uh, You have to try it. I would also suggest that game design can take months and months to complete a game. Or you could do it in a week because you just have to. So our very first iteration of Innovator Dinosaur, the client came to us with a crisis situation and we decided that we would create a game to solve it. Mm -hmm. And Shauna quickly designed something. We were prototyping it within days. We made lots of mistakes, but it didn't matter. And we printed it out at staples which is like our big Mm. uh, kind of stationary print print shop so this was not a fancy produced thing and we just went for it and so it doesn't just remember it doesn't always have to be glossy right as you're going through you need to actually test this live as well Uh, you can also visit attractiontoolbox.ca which is where we have a collection of business games and tools from around the world. Some are ours, some are ones um, from other practitioners and designers who have made their, their products available. There's everything from card decks, which aren't necessarily games. Uh, and then there's some that are actual games as well. So feel free to check that out and feel free to drop me a line if you have questions about that. Um, there's there, you can also find, um, uh, different resources, of course, YouTube places like that. Uh, there is a book, uh, called, uh, games and business, which could be helpful as well. This was written by a professor of organizational game design in Denmark. I'll give you the link for that, uh, Mark, or the the resource for that. These kinds of things can be helpful too, if you really want to do a deep dive. Um, But at the end of the day, I really think it is about you playing in order to help uh, bring play and the benefits of game to your clients as well. 
And Tamara, people can find you, of course, on LinkedIn and your full yes. name is Tamara Eberly. Is that right? E-B-E-R-L-E-Y. Okay, fantastic. Thank you so much for being my guest today on the show. You're so welcome. It was my pleasure. That's it for this week's episode of the show. Thank you for tuning in. Thanks for your time. And thanks for recommending this show to other people in training development coaches, consultants, facilitators. The listenership is going right up and it's thanks to you and thanks for your loyalty. There are plenty of great podcasts out there, but you've chosen to listen to this one. And for that, I'm very grateful. You can find Tamara on online, of course, on LinkedIn. Her LinkedIn name is Tamara Eberly, E-B-E-R-L-E. That's T-A-M-A-R-A, Tamara Eberly, E-B-E-R-L-E. And her website, of course, is very interesting as well. That's tractiontoolbox.ca, C-A for Canada. And my thanks to you for taking time to listen to this episode. Please tell other people about the show. Subscribe, follow, so you can get free episodes of the show as they come out every Thursday. And all that is required is to click on subscribe or follow. I'd love to know about your challenges. If you've got suggestions for guests or topics, please drop me a line. My email address is mark at trainingbusiness.com. See you back here again next Thursday. Until then, look after yourself. Bye for now. Thanks once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. See you next time.